we want to, for a few moments, just turn our attention to the Word of God. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look in John's Gospel, chapter 20, and we're going to focus on a few verses, verses 24 through 29, for just a few moments. And today we want to just think for a little bit about dealing with guilt. Dealing with guilt. This message took its own course and own direction. I've been thinking all week, reading all week from the VBS material or from their theme verse anyway. I'm wondering... How can I lead into Vacation Bible School with us? And I thought, well, we'll go right before that verse and get in the context, and then you'll study it all week. But I think this is going in a different direction. I'm almost certain it's going in a different direction. As we look in chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. While you're trying to find that, Sir A.C. Doyle, he's the writer of the Sherlock Holmes <laughs> A novel. He, sir, uh, he, he was quite a he was quite a prankster. Now, if you've never read anything about Sir A.C. Doyle, uh, it would be interesting to read because he was quite a prankster. He loves he loved playing practical jokes on on people. And one day, he pranked five of the most prominent men in England. <laughs> he sent an anonymous note to them. And this note said, all is found out. Flee at once. Within 24 hours, all five of those men had left the country. <laughs> what did they have to be guilty of? <laughs> that, that, just rises, that just raises our, our inquiry. We start thinking, what were they so guilty of that they left the country with the threat that all is found out. I suppose that after finding out that these men had left the country, Sir Doyle felt somewhat guilty himself and probably doubted these men would ever, would ever want anything to do with him. You know, the funny thing about guilt is this. It will drive you to one of two responses. You will either confront your guilt or you will avoid it. In John's gospel, here in this passage, we, we want to examine what happens with guilt. I hope we're able to see as we look in this passage that we can overcome guilt. Or we can be succumbed to the guilt. The only way we can overcome our guilt is, to be, is for it to be confronted. In, this, in these verses, and this is a very familiar passage to us, in verses 24 through 29, in the 20th chapter, the Bible says, Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see his hands, see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. 
And after eight days, his disciples were again in, inside, and Thomas with them, and Jesus came. The doors being shut and stood in the midst of them and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand there and put into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. God's holy word. God, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for this time of, of worship and praise to you today. We ask that you would now just speak to our hearts and speak to our minds. That God, you would, that we would open ourselves up to you. That we would shut out the cares of this world and just pour our attention upon you in these next few moments. God, may you have our full and undivided attention. And as, God, you have it, we ask that you would speak into our hearts. You would help us, God, to see your word for its truth. And God, if there's any here who doesn't know you for the forgiveness of sin, who doesn't have a relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ, we pray that this be the day that they call out, what must I do to be saved? That they would shed the guilt and shame that they're carrying around once and for all. And God, we'll praise you for what's accomplished. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. In order for us to really catch hold of what we're trying to share in this passage, we need to know what's taken place. Eight days prior, eight days prior to this passage, we find that Jesus has risen from the grave. Early that morning, women had came to complete the preparation of Jesus' body, and they found his body was no longer there. Not seeing the body of Jesus, they ran to tell the disciples what they had found. And this prompted Peter and John to, to run to the tomb, and there they found that the women's testimony was true. Jesus' grave clothes were lying right there as if he was laying there, but his, he was not in them. As a matter of fact, the, the, the cloth that was placed upon his head was removed and laid aside and folded neatly. Along with, with this, according to the Gospel of Luke, not only did the disciples find that the grave was empty, but a little while later, two men were leaving Jerusalem. They were headed to a town called Emmaus, and on the way, um, a stranger appeared. Out of nowhere, he just appeared to be walking with them. He talked with them as they journeyed, and when they, when they got to, to right before where they were going, they had sat down, and, G and Jesus himself, who's speaking with them, had begun sharing all sorts of things. And, and when they broke bread, their eyes were open, and they realized that they were in the presence of the one who was just crucified. And now the Bible tells us in verse 19 that over in that same evening <laughs> we find that Jesus appeared out of nowhere 
to some frightened disciples. The Bible tells us there in verse 19 that the same day at evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. Now at this time, Thomas was not there. Now we, we don't know exactly why Thomas was not there, but we can do a lot of speculating. As a matter of fact, there's been a lot of speculating over the years just why Thomas was not there. Some feel, felt that Thomas thought that, well, now he's gone. There's no more need for us to be together. I'm just going to go my own way. But we find that's not true because, because we find that Thomas did catch up with these guys a little later. So what could it be? What could be the possibility? of Thomas not being there with them at this time. Well, perhaps, perhaps it had to do with Thomas's guilt. Perhaps Thomas realized that that he hadn't lived up to what he had done, what he should have. Maybe it was his guilt that kept him away from being with these disciples. His guilt of not standing with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane at the time of his, his arrest. Maybe it was his guilt of not speaking up for Jesus when he was illegally tried throughout the night. Maybe it was his guilt of, of running and hiding when Jesus was beating, being beaten at the whipping post. Maybe it was his guilt of, of not carrying Jesus Christ up Galgotha's hill. Maybe it was his guilt of not being there in the midst of the crucifixion. Maybe he was feeling guilty because he didn't help carry Jesus' body to the tomb. Whatever it was, it just seems that he was feeling guilty and couldn't face the other guys. What about us? Do we ever feel guilty of our sin? Do we ever feel guilty that Jesus had to leave heaven and come to a place where cherubims were flying around and singing holy, holy, holy day and night? Do we ever feel guilty that, that Jesus paid the death that we deserved? Do we ever feel guilty that the truth is that he paid the penalty of our sins? He suffered where we should have suffered and he did this to pour his love upon you and I. Do we ever feel guilty of our sin that our sins placed him on an old rugged cross caused him to have to look to his father and say why has thou forsaken me have we ever felt guilty that we have caused all of this stuff to have to take place well we ought to at times I think maybe just think back it was because of our sins it was because of our separation from God that Jesus had to come to give us peace, joy, hope. It was because Jesus, because of our sins, Jesus had to come to introduce us to a love that we had never known. Yes, I think we all contemplate our guilt of our sins from time to time. Maybe it was guilt that kept Thomas away we want to call him the doubting disciple we want to call him doubting Thomas I think he's been because of one action one event one time of of poor judgment we've labeled him don't you hate that don't you hate when you do so many good things in this world <laughs> You, you've, you've, you've centered your life around trying to help people. You've been the best parent you could be, the best child you could be, the best spouse you could be. You've been the very best who you could be. And one 
moment of elapsed judgment, you become labeled for it. That's where Thomas is at. In our minds and in the minds of scholars all around, he's the doubting one. I want us to see just why, before we finish this message, why we shouldn't label him any longer. Here, if, if it's his guilt, if it's his guilt and shame as the reason he wasn't there with them, we have to ask the question, what did not being there cost him? Well, we want to show you what being there cost him, the, the cost of succumbing to the guilt. First of all, it cost him the Lord's presence. If we look there in verse 19, the Bible says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst. The Bible teaches us in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 that we are to consider one another and not fail to, to assemble together. We are to assemble together that we can, so that we can encourage one another and exhort each other. Yet Thomas, yes, he could have sought Jesus. He could, should, he could have sought forgiveness on his own. He, he, he could have been praising God when he wasn't away from them. He, he could have been worshiping God somewhere else. You know, we can worship God by ourselves. I hope we're reminded of that to where on a daily basis we spend some time worshiping God and praising him for the day. I think when we wake up in the morning, we ought to praise him for what he's given us. He's opened our eyes and given us health and strength and enough sense to know that he's the creator of the world. He's the one that gave us the sunshine, the rain, the fall. He's the one that, that gave us health and strength just to get up and walk. He's the one that opened our mouth so that we can talk. He's the one that helped us throughout the night when the devil could have destroyed us. It was God who kept us when we were asleep. Oh, we ought to spend time praising him when we get up. Yes, we could think, well, Thomas didn't have to be with them boys. Jesus is always present and he's never absent. But there's always something different about assembling together with others. We not only enter into the presence of God, but we also get to experience his power in a unique and powerful way. The Bible teaches us that the disciples were behind closed doors, but out of nowhere, Jesus came in his own unique power and walked in the midst of them. He stood right there in his own unique way. Thomas wasn't there. He didn't get to experience that moment. He didn't get to experience the, the presence of God in the very moment and see, it, and, and see his power on display. Not right then. I want to tell you, there's a reason why we assemble together. We assemble together because you can't duplicate it. Whatever takes place in this service today, whoever's not here, they'll never get to experience it. Whatever God says to you today, whatever he does in the midst of this service, nobody else can get this again if they're not here it'll be another service with another experience and another way that God presents his power but we'll be missed what he's doing today oh we ought not fail to assemble together it needs to be a regular routine thing I understand listen I understand 
Our health plays a part in this. I understand there's some Sundays you're going to get up and you're not going to be able to make it to the house of God. I understand that there's sometimes if I live long enough, I'm not going to make it as much as I make it now. I also understand there are times when you just need to get away and you'll just, you'll just find yourself on vacation somewhere, spending time with family and friends and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but find time to worship God even in the midst of that. Yes, I don't know about you, but I found that whenever I failed to assemble with the local fellowship of believers, I've missed out on something that I can never get back. Here, Thomas missed out on on experiencing God's power in the midst of his presence, but that ain't all that he missed. What it cost him failing to assemble was the Lord's peace. Here Jesus stated at the end of verse 19, peace be with you. Jesus being all-knowing understood why the disciples were behind closed doors. He understood that they were afraid. The man that that they had just spent three years of their lives with had been crucified, and they were afraid that they were the next targets uh, uh, for the Jewish religious leaders. They were afraid that they were going to receive the the same treatment as Jesus had received. But Jesus spoke. Peace be with you. It was when Jesus showed his hand, his hands and his side that they knew without a doubt that they were in the presence of the Lord, the Messiah, the promised one, the one, and they were glad. The Bible says they were glad. In other words, they now have peace. It says they were afraid. They were hiding because they were afraid. Now he's saying They've seen Jesus and they're glad. There's just something peaceful about being in the presence of God. I don't know about you, but I just find something peaceful. It doesn't matter how my life is turned upside down. It doesn't matter what's going on with uh, that week. It doesn't matter how, how angry I've got. It doesn't matter how, how distraught I have. It doesn't matter how worried I've been. But when I enter into the presence of God, I feel at peace. It's a peace the world can't give and the world can't take away. Here in John's gospel, 1427, Jesus said this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give, so let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. It's all because of the peace of God. You know, in the movie, I don't know if you've watched it, Never Back Down, One of the lead characters in the movie, Jake Tyler, he was consumed by the guilt of his father's passing. His father died in a car crash. Jake and his father were on their way home and his father was intoxicated heavily. And and Jake refused to take the keys from his father. And his father drove and they wrapped their truck around a tree and his father died. And he was so consumed with this guilt, he just couldn't let it go. And his relationship with his mother became, became so, so messed up that they could hardly speak to one another. He couldn't really relate to his friends because they didn't understand what he was experiencing. He, he was kicked out of two schools. He had been arrested six times. He had just been through so much and he couldn't let it go. Until he found a gym where he could train in mixed martial arts and it was then that Jake was able to begin to 
gain control over his emotions and to let go of his guilt. And it was then that his relationship with his mother became strengthened and he was able to make friends in his new school. I wonder just how often has guilt and shame broken our fellowship with God? How often have has our guilt uh, kept us from the fellowship of our Christian brothers and sisters? How often have we allowed our guilt and shame to rob us of joy, of the joy of being... of our joy to take away from us spending time in God's word. I want to tell you, our guilt should never take us away from God. If anything, it should drive us to God. When we succumb to the guilt of our sins, we're holding on to something that God has said that his only begotten son has suffered and died to pay the penalty for. We're not trusting in the power of forgiveness. We're not trusting in the power of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We're not saved for a moment, folks. I want you to get this. If you don't get nothing else, we're not saved for a moment. We're not saved and only saved during an experience. But when we've become true, born again, one, children of God when we've been blood washed and our names been recorded in the last book of life we've been saved for eternity and we can let go of the guilt and shame because Jesus has paid the price of it all and at that time we can enjoy the presence the power and the peace that only comes from knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior Yes, we don't have to succumb to guilt and shame. But let's notice in this text what happens when Jesus confronts the guilty. There's a confrontation here with the guilty. When Thomas finally came around, the other disciples, they seemed to be excited to see him. But when they began to share Jesus appearing, like many today... Thomas refused to believe them. As a matter of fact, he, he, he had trouble thinking that he actually arose from the grave. Thomas' guilt he, he caused him to become so stiff-necked in unbelief that he argued with the disciples, saying, unless I see his hands and the print of the nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Now keep in mind... Thomas's guilt caused this reaction. His guilt of forsaking Jesus and withdrawing from the other disciples caused him to miss this experience of the presence of power and peace that only comes from Jesus. But also it's possible. It's possible that Thomas, like many others, thought that the Messiah himself was just an earthly thing. That he was just here in earthly form. That he... He could have thought that Jesus was going to make everything better here on earth and here on earth only. And that he would get to reign and serve here on earth only. He saw Jesus as the promised Messiah, as the son of David. He refused to see beyond the physical world. And if this is true... Thomas would see Jesus as a man nailed to the cross who they put a spear in his side and he'd see him as a great man who is now dead. Today there are many who see Jesus just as a great man. There are religions who see Jesus as their savior but not God. 
There are those who see him as a great man who done great things, but they fail to see him as God. But I want to assure you that he was more than a man. He was 100% man, but he was 100% God. And because he was man, didn't take away from him being God. He is the only begotten of the Father. He is the very Son of God. He is God himself. And he declared himself that he is God. In John 14 and 7, Jesus said this, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and you have seen him. In verse 9, he says, He, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is saying, I am God. If you want an eyewitness testimony that Jesus is God, Jesus himself, John declares, he heard it himself, that Jesus says, I am God. I don't care what other religions say. I don't care what other people say. What I know is Jesus is the Son of God. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. He is God. And besides him, there is no other. This world can tell us all sorts of things but there's only one God (laughs) Father, Son and Holy Spirit and Jesus was the manifestation of God in flesh because because of Thomas' failure to see Jesus as who he is there had to be a confrontation eight days after Jesus' resurrection there was a confrontation Again, the doors were shut and locked, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Jesus stood in the midst of the disciples. And again, he greeted them with peace to you. You know what's interesting? When we look in this passage here, what we find immediately after saying peace to you, he turns to Thomas. I shared last week, you can't hide nothing from God. Oh, I shared in Bible study, you can't hide nothing from God. You can hide from me. You can wear what mask you want. I can wear what mask I want. I can hide what's going on with me from you, but we can't hide it from God. And God, Jesus saw through the heart of Thomas. He turned to Thomas and he said, reach your finger here. Look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Here Jesus looked into the heart of Thomas and made Thomas aware that he knew him and he knew about his guilt and shame. Thomas immediately cried out with the most appropriate response ever, my Lord, my God. There's a lot of people who doubt the Lord and never say, my Lord, my God. If Thomas ever redeemed himself, it was right in that moment when he said, my Lord, my God. He was saying, no longer do I doubt who you are. No longer do I doubt that you are the risen Savior. No longer do I see you just as a man. No longer are you just the son of David, but you are the son of God. You are my God. You are my Lord. That's what Thomas is saying in the moment. He redeemed himself. Boy, it's unfair to hold that to him. (laughs) Isn't it? He rectified things right there. We're in the presence of a holy God. We can experience his power and peace. But before that can happen, we must acknowledge that he exists. We must acknowledge that Jesus is the son of the living God. He is God. I remember... I remember very vividly a night in 1993 
Purnell Sweat High School's baseball team was hosting the defending 4A conference champions, Anson County. It was an unusual night. Only those who truly loved this game could really understand how special this night was and, and just how everything was aligning in place. And, and you'd have to be there to understand. You'd have to be right in that moment to, to sense that there's something going on beyond our control. <laughs> on that night, I had a feeling that feeling it was one night, one of those special nights that only comes around once a lifetime. Something special was happening right before our eyes. Around the fifth inning of this ball game, I, I walked to the back of the dugout, looked at a young 15-year-old pitcher for Pernell Sweat and asked, are you aware of what's happening? He put his right index finger over his lips and winked at me. And I walked off to the side, stood on the other end of the dugout for the rest of the game. I walked off in amazement of the very moment that we were in. And when the last pitch was thrown in that seventh inning, I, I knew I'd witnessed something special Oh, how I rejoiced and how happy I was just in that moment. I wouldn't have rather been anywhere else in the entire world in that moment. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine what Thomas was going through? In that very moment, he was in the presence of the risen Savior. The one, one more special than words could describe. In this moment, he was in the presence of the one who had been beaten, who had been mocked, who had been crucified. He was in the presence of the one that they placed in a borrowed tomb. He was in the presence of the one who under his own power defeated the death, hell, and the grave. He was in the presence of the one and the only one that ever will rise up out of the grave under his own power. Oh, what a powerful what a powerful and peaceful moment it had to be for Thomas. And I would go out on a limb and say there's nowhere else in the world he'd rather be in in that very moment. And we hear his testimony. My Lord, my God. Jesus said to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. And those who have not yet seen, but blessed are those who have not yet seen and have believed. When the word of God was completed, the need for the supernatural appearances of Jesus was no longer necessary. We now have the witness of the apostles in the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament scriptures. We have God's revelation. We have his holy word. Romans 10 and 17 says this, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
we assemble in corporate worship to enter into God's presence. And we, when we do, we can experience his power and peace because he removes our guilt and shame. You today who don't know Jesus as your personal savior, would you like to know him? If you would receive him as your Lord and Savior, the guilt and shame that you're carrying, he'll remove it. Yes, you can, you stand guilty right now of your sins. But a confrontation with Jesus can change it all. Today, if you would believe and confess, he will forgive you of all your sins. And he'll confirm to you that you no longer stand guilty, but that his precious blood has covered them all. Well, we hope you've enjoyed the message today. And if you happen to not have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, we want to invite you to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It's as simple as the ABCs. If you would admit that you are a sinner and that you are in need of a Savior and believe that God sent His very Son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth to be the sacrifice for our sins and that He died for our sins and He arose on the third day. And then if you would confess Him as your Lord and Savior, you can be saved. You must believe this with all your heart and you must be willing to serve Him. If you are, all you have to do is talk with Jesus. You don't need a preacher. You don't need a church to get saved. But if you get saved, find yourself a Bible-believing church. And I believe God will richly bless you.